Hey, I don't know if y'all uh, remember me. Uh, I, I work here. I do. And I have missed you so much, and I'm so glad to be here today. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm on uh, sabbatical right now and have uh, really been blessed in my time away and getting away with, with my wife and just getting to have time together. It's been really refreshing and renewing, but I couldn't make, I couldn't make that possible, couldn't get away if it wasn't for uh, the great team we have here. I'm so thankful for our elder council and their godly leadership and them just kind of stepping up as they always do and filling in gaps. Thankful for our staff who've been doing a remarkable job and especially thankful for Pastor Michael who's been leading our team and Pastor Trey as they've been bringing the word to you. I've gotten to listen to all the messages and they have rocked. In fact, they've been too good. Like you ever like, like I didn't want them to be bad. I didn't want that, but they didn't have to be that good. Right? Like they didn't have to knock it out of the park week after week so that I have to step up here and remind you that, you know, like I'm still okay, you know? But I'm really thankful for those guys, what, such gifted teachers and leaders. And so this morning, I get to be the one who wraps up our study in the book of Daniel. And just to let you know, there were a couple really significant reasons why the message of this book is kind of just what the doctor ordered for us living in the West, living in the United States at the beginning part of the 21st century as we face the issues of our own day. The first of which is this, we live in Babylon, not Jerusalem. Guys, we live just like Daniel, we live in Babylon, not Jerusalem. We're not home yet. Like so many people, it's so easy to understand that, yet so many people get tripped up on that when life goes wrong or the political climate changes or your, what you stand for is out of fashion. Like we go running for the hills, the hills, right? Like we think, like has God forgotten us? Guys, we live in Babylon, not Jerusalem. Now, it would be easy to camp out on this point and spend like the whole time kind of pulling back the curtain on the spirit of the age. It would be easy to make this message really heavy like as, and just take up all of our time. And there's a time to do that, by the way, but take up all of our time just looking at how dark things are and how messed up our world is. But it, it, I'm not going to do that, but there are a couple observations I would like to make. Uh, last year, I read an article in the journal, First Things, uh, titled The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism. And guys, I found it very instructive. It's still available today online if you want to look that up. In it, the author kind of outlines how we have passed through this vast cultural change in just under 30 years. How many of you in here are over 30 years old? Right? So in our lifetime, this has all happened. Like he says, we've gone through three eras, and he calls the era prior to 1994 positive world. And I covered this kind of extensively in a sermon a year ago, but it bears repeating in positive world. It's a, a world in which our society had a mostly positive view of Christianity. Like we were liked, 
right? To be known as a good church-going guy or gal was actually a status enhancer. Like Christian moral norms were the same moral norms of a culture as a whole. But in 1994, there was this shift into what the author calls neutral world between 1994 and 2014 in which Christianity no longer had that privileged status. It wasn't that we were hated. Like it wasn't that being a, a Christian was somehow a social negative. It was neither positive nor negative. It was neutral. Like it had no impact on your social status. It was like being Irish or liking classical music. You hear that and you think, well, cool. Like you're Irish, that's good. So one day a year, like on St. Patrick's Day, you won't be the guy wearing the button that's lying. Kiss me, I'm Irish. That's you. Okay? That's okay. But the world viewed us during that 20-year period kind of neutrally, but then once again, in 2014, everything shifted into negative world. And now society as a large, at large has a negative view of Christianity. Being known as a Christian is a social negative, especially in the halls of academia and the elite domains of our society. Uh, Christian morality is expressly repudiated and it's seen as a threat to our culture, to the progressive movement that we're making toward a new public moral order. So, Everything has changed in just 30 years. Like the whole time I've been a pastor, like I've been a pastor for over 30 years, I've preached and taught and lived and raised a family through these three worlds. Like in 30 years, we passed through all three stages of a moral revolution. Stage one, what was condemned is now celebrated. Stage two, what was celebrated is now condemned. And then finally, stage three, those who refuse to celebrate are themselves condemned. And guys, that's where we find ourselves today. And here's what I call the, the great evangelical mistake. <laughs> it's not recognizing what world you're, you're living in. Like thinking that you still somehow live in positive world or neutral world and that by your winsomeness, you will win every debate and argument. It doesn't work that way. We can be as nice as possible, but the world doesn't think we're nice because of who we align ourselves with and the who is Jesus and the Scripture and the God of the Bible. Guys, we need to understand the times. It will cost you something to stand firm in this world. I mean, after all, we live in an era of all-ages drag shows and drag, string, drag queen story hour. Like, that's the world we're living in. Which seems crazy. I mean, at my age, at 60, looking at where our culture is today, that seems crazy. Like, we live in an era of manipulating children to take gender-denying medication and even undergo irreversible surgery. Like, that's the world that we live in. We even have to wonder, like, why and how did this become the hill 
that they are willing to die on. But that's the world we live in today. We live in an era where abortion has become sort of a sacred right. And please understand, hear this guys, standing firm on these issues, standing firm against these sorts of things does not mean that the church is somehow getting embroiled in politics. This isn't politics. This is simply exposing false religion. You see, wokeism and wokeness is a false religion. Personal autonomy is its doctrinal standard. Our children are the offerings of its sacrificial system and abortion is its holy sacrament. In fact, it's introduced this way. This is my body. God says in Isaiah 5, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Now I told you it was going to get heavy, right? It could get really heavy if we just stayed right there, but we need to understand we're not home yet. And this is nothing new. It all started in the garden. It all started with the garden from a, with a lie from the enemy when he said to Eve, you will be like God. All you have to do to be like God is to disobey God. You will get to be the one who calls the shots. You will get to decide what is wrong and what is right. You will get to define reality. Define yourself. Choose your pronouns. That's where it started. In the garden. And so guys, like Daniel, we live in Babylon, not Jerusalem. In fact, here's a brief outline of the narrative section of the book of Daniel as seen through the lens of Babylon's agenda for God's people. Conform, confine, cleanse. See, early in the book of Daniel, the goal was simply to conform. Chapter 1, eat like us. Dress like us. Look like us. Act like us. Just be one of us. And then you get the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before that idol and being told they need to bow. Hey, you, you don't have to bow in your heart. Just bow. Just bow with your body. Right? Now they move from conform to confine. Just keep your religion, your beliefs about God in church, in synagogue, at your home, in private, but don't bring it into the public square. Conform, confine, and then finally in chapter 6, you see the cleanse. The cleanse comes with this rule saying that for hey, the next 40 day, days, nobody's going to pray to anyone except the king. Right? And so Daniel stands there silently at his window facing Jerusalem, but they know he's praying. In his heart, he's praying. Like there's something in your heart and we got to get that out of your heart. We need to cleanse it. We need to get rid of it altogether. Maybe you saw recently the video of the woman in London praying near an abortion clinic quietly, silently, just standing there like in between two bushes with her eyes closed and the police come up and ask her what she's doing. Ask her if she's praying. And she says, yes, I'm praying in my head. And they arrested her. Like guys, they arrested her for thought crime. I mean, there are simply too many Orwellian connections to make in one sermon. 
But once again, that's the world in which we live. And so, how can you stand firm in negative world? In a world that stands opposed to everything that Christ told us to stand for. How can you live courageously and confidently? How can you, in the midst of darkness, shine like the stars of the heavens and be the light that this world needs? Well, the book of Daniel answers all that, all those questions, and like we've said every single week, it answers them by giving us strong theological footing on which we can take our stand because the theme of this book is the absolute sovereignty of God in all things. So every, even though everything has changed in just 30 years, there is something that has never will never and can never change. And here it is. We can stand firm because God stands firm. Yahweh is the hero of this book. He is the one whose plans and purposes cannot, will not ever be thwarted. He's the hero. So don't despair. Like all that stuff about where the world is, where our culture is right now that we can get so wrapped up in. And I think we should take seriously. I think we should know these things. And we should know where we stand. But if we just focus on that, if all we do is watch the news and listen to podcasts and just get all emotional and just get angry, It's so easy to forget. Guys, we stand firm because God stands firm. God is not surprised at where our culture is. Like God is not surprised of what is going on. I love what John Piper writes. He says in what I think is probably his magnum opus, his book Providence, God has revealed His purposeful sovereignty over good and evil in order to... Okay, here is, here is why God is showing us in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, here it is why God shows us His sovereignty. To humble human pride. We see that. To intensify human worship. To shatter human hopelessness. To put ballast in the battered boat of human faith. Steel in the spine of human courage. Gladness in the groans of affliction. And love in the heart that sees no way forward. As I was reading this book over my sabbatical, I wrote in the margin of my book, this is it. This is the purpose of the book of Daniel. Right here. Like God is revealing something about Himself. His sovereignty. Because He wants us to be lifted up by it and humbled by it. He wants us to bring, bring us joy and bring us steel to our resolve. In fact, guys, this is the purpose of all biblical prophecy. It's what Sinclair Ferguson calls the eschatological ethic, right? Eschatology is the doctrine of last things. So it's what he calls a end times ethic. Because you know what's coming, because you know what God is going to do, this is how you live in accordance with that. In fact, Sinclair writes, 
In every epoch of revelation, God's people have been encouraged to live in the light of what He has promised for the future. I know it's hard. But look what I'm going to do. I know it seems bleak, but there is a kingdom coming and we just sang about it. Do you believe that? The biblical response to the promises of God's coming kingdom is always live for that kingdom now. Recognize His reign now. Be obedient now. Fulfill your present responsibilities now. How did Daniel stand firm in Babylon? This is how, guys. The truth that we read about in the second half of the book, God had been revealing those to Him His entire life. The truths of the second half of Daniel enabled Him to stand firm in the ways recounted in the first half of the book. It's like this. Instead of God just simply saying, Daniel, come on! Trust me! Like you go to a, to see a Christian counselor and your life's all out of whack and your marriage is in trouble and your kids are straying and your health is a wreck and you're losing your job and everything is going wrong. The last thing you want to hear is, hey man, just trust God. See, God doesn't just say to Daniel, trust me. He shows him the God in whom he can trust. He says, let me lift the veil. Let me show you what I'm about to do. Let me show you how the story ends. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes when Amy and I are watching a movie that's a little bit intense, we cheat <laughs> and fast forward. Does anybody else do that? Gosh, we're pathetic, honey. We have a problem. <laughs> like, we just get too, like, we're like, oh my goodness. I don't know if I want to invest another hour in this movie if this person's going to die, if they're going to, you know, something kind of terrible is going to happen, if they're going to whatever. And so we will cheat and go to the end of the story. And then for us at least, we either don't watch it sometimes, or usually we watch it with more anticipation because we know how it ends. Oh man, this is bad, but look, I know what's going to happen. See, that's what Daniel gets from God. Like his father reveals to him the end of the story. God shows Daniel how the story ends and that reality enabled him to stand firm and to live out that eschatological ethic. That end times ethic. And so that's why when you see throughout the first six chapters that God's people face a test, Right? A trial, a challenge, a temptation, that their response is that they're faithful. Right? They're, they face a test and then they're faithful. Next slide, please. Here we go. They're faithful. They stand firm. Their conscience is captive to the Word of God. And this results in their victory because faithfulness always equals victory regardless of the consequences. And ultimately, as a result of their faithfulness, they are rewarded. You see, the book of Daniel functions as a manual for the suffering and faithful 
Christian and the suffering and faithful church just like the book of Revelation does. We can stand firm because God stands firm. And with that said, let me, let me show you what I mean by sovereignty. Like, let me show you just a, a brief video of a theologian, Paul Tripp, a counselor and theologian, introducing you to the God in whom you can trust. So what is out of my control is under God's control. And so with that brief introduction, I want to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Daniel 12. And I'm going to ask you as we stand to turn off that part of you that wants all your answers in black and white with a nice chronological chart. Okay? Instead, I want you to stand with me and receive these words from the Sovereign One who stands above the waters and who is bringing all things right into order after the counsel of His own will. Daniel 12, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until now. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal these words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked and there before me stood two others, one on one bank of the river and the other on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until these astonishing things are fulfilled? And the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this be? And he answered, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. But as for you, 
Go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of your days, you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Guys, there's so much in this passage (laughs) that I could deal with. There's so many details to unpack and so many rabbit trails that we could chase. However, I believe that you and I, what we need to do with this passage is one simple thing. And here it is. Go your way till the end. That's the command of Daniel chapter 12 to this prophet who's been faithful his entire life. Daniel, go your way till the end. And so church, go your way till the end. To which you might respond, okay, sure, but what about... uh, the 1,290 days and the, the 1,335 days. Like, what's up with that? Like, and what's the deal with the extra 45 days? Like, what's going on during that time? Go your way till the end. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm with you on that, but what about this time, times, and half a time? Like, what does that mean? Is that, is that three and a half years? Or does it mean something else? And when does it start? (laughs) And what is the timetable? And show me a chart. And why does everything have to sound like a riddle? Like what's the deal here? You go your way till the end. Okay, I'm good with that. I I, I plan to do that, but this all sounds so scary. I mean, it says that there's going to be a time of distress like never before. And the power of God's people will be broken. I mean, that sounds awful. At least encourage me that I won't have to endure any of that, right? Go your way till the end. Okay, you keep saying that. But I don't even know what that means. Like, what does that even mean? To go your way until the end. This is what it means. For Daniel, it meant, Daniel, you do Daniel. And let God do God. Daniel has a question. Hey, um, what, what about this timetable here? Daniel, buddy, I'm not going to tell you anymore. Like you do, Daniel. You know what you're supposed to do. Let God be God. Just go about your business, Daniel. Like I'm not giving you any more details, any more information. The matter is closed and sealed until the end actually comes. You've received all that you're going to get And that is enough. Guys, when it comes to eschatology, there are things that we know. And there are things that we don't know. And there are things that we cannot know. Because God has not revealed them to us. However, one thing we can know with certainty is how we should live in light of what God has promised us. Be faithful. Be patient. Trust God. Like He's going to come right on times. Go your way till the end. You do you. And let God do God. Go your way till the end. You do you and let God be Yahweh. You do what you're supposed to do and let God do what only He can do. Continue to stand firm because you know the end of the story. You got to fast forward to the end of the movie. 
and you see how it ends and it's amazing. And now you can watch the hills and valleys. You can watch the struggles and trials because you know in the end that you will stand with Him. Like I love the words of Job. Like in the midst of his suffering and that trial and those friends who were questioning him and like needling him about every little step he's taken, every misstep. What does he say? I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, He will take His stand upon the earth. And with my own eyes, I will see Him. I am not another. Like that's the kind of confidence that Daniel is supposed to have because of what he has seen and what he knows. And it's the kind of confidence we should have. Like guys, I don't know about what's going to happen in the two years in the election. And I don't even know if it matters. But I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end, He will take His stand upon the earth. And with my eyes, in my flesh, I will see Him. I am not another. Is that enough? Like, is that enough for you? That you know that your Redeemer lives and that He will raise you. Go your way to the end. Stand firm because your name is written in the book. Like, what an amazing promise. Time of distress is coming. The worst in history. But everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Your deliverance, Christian, is assured because your name is written in His book. Your eternal destiny is secure. Your heavenly citizenship has been written down. Like I love uh, Psalm 87, which is a great missions psalm. In it, God speaks of His love for His holy city Zion, like the heavenly city of Jerusalem. He has founded His city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge Me. What? Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush, I will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. The Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the registry of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. Guys, that's your heavenly identity. Most of us in this room were not born to Jewish parents. Like we can't trace our lineage back to Abraham or Jacob or anyone like that. But if you have placed your faith in Christ, your name is in the book and you were born again in Zion. Stand firm because your name is written in the book. And stand firm because you will be raised. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some for everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the clearest passage in the entire Old Testament about a bodily resurrection. And notice that it's a double resurrection because resurrection day is separation day. 
As Jesus Himself said, when the Son of Man comes in all His glory and with the glory of His holy angels, He will gather the nations to Himself as a shepherd gathers His flock. And then He will separate the sheep from the goats. And that's what's happening here. Stand firm because you will be raised. 1 John 3 says this, Dear friends, we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when we see Christ, we will become like Him because we will see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. There's that end times ethic. Future realities should impact present priorities. Because you know that you will be raised, that your name is in the book, you should live accordingly. You should shape and mold your life accordingly. You will be raised. Stand firm because others need to hear of the victory of Christ. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to, many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Guys, nothing is more important than making sure that we and other understand the eternal consequences of the message of the Gospel. Like who are you helping right now to move toward Christ? Who are you helping right now to stay faithful to Christ? If you died right now, how confident are you that you would be welcomed into the presence of God in heaven? If you were to stand before Him and He were to ask, why should I let you in? What would your response be? Like, what have you done with the message of the Gospel? I love how the message translates verse 3. It says, those who put others on the right path to life will glow like stars forever. Guys, stand firm because other people need to hear your message. And if you're standing firm, instead of giving in and compromising and conforming to this world, you will, be, you will have a platform at which to speak. And then finally next, stand firm because God is using all of this to refine you. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. See, God is using the trials that we're going through and the trials that we will face in the future before His return not to diminish us, but to refine us. I mean, the same sun that melts ice hardens clay. And these same hard events for us who because of Christ have been made the ones He calls wise, like we respond with this by humbling ourselves before God where others harden their hearts against God. Stand firm, finally, because you will be rewarded. As for you, go your way to the end. You will rest and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Like I love that Daniel says, Daniel, the prophet, the guy who writes the book, uh, I heard, but I did not understand. Does that encourage you at all? Like I'm reading this book, and I'm thinking I'm not getting it at all. And then I'm like, oh, so neither is Daniel. That's good, right? See, God reveals just enough of us, to us about the end to be 
faithful and to stand firm. He tells us what we need to know. He doesn't give us all the details with a chart. This prophecy and its understanding will be revealed as God Himself unravels history. So stand firm because you're going to be rewarded. Stand firm and finish well. And I want you to understand, hear this, finishing well as a believer is not our ultimate goal. In fact, even faithfulness is not our ultimate goal. They are simply the path to the goal. Here's the ultimate goal. The praise of His glorious grace. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1 that God redeemed us and called us, chose us and predestined us for the praise of His glorious grace. Here's a question maybe Daniel asked throughout his life. WWDD, what would Daniel do? With every opportunity, every option, every choice he had to face, what would show God as most glorious? How can I respond to this in a way that shows the the absolute value and significance, the satisfaction I have in God? Guys, today we need Daniels who understand the world in which they live. We need moms and dads who want to raise Daniels. We need believers who understand the times. And hear this, we need men. Men. Dads. Who will bravely lead their families through an uncertain future because they are confident of the certain destination. God demonstrates His sovereignty to show us His care. What is out of my control as a dad is under His control. Let's pray. Son of God and Son of Man, You took on flesh, was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. You suffered, died, were buried, and You rose again. You ascended to Your throne and Your departure into heaven. In that departure, You didn't separate Yourself from Me, but You gave Me the Holy Spirit as a pledge of Your return. Your Word, Your promises, and these Your sacraments all serve to remind Me of the high price price You paid until You come again. And so I wait for You, King Jesus. We wait for You and Your return, King Jesus. The day of Your return is not a day of terror for us. For Your death has redeemed us. Your Spirit fills us. Your love energizes us. And Your Word rules over our hearts. We have trusted You and You have not betrayed our trust. We have waited for You. And our waiting has not been in vain. For You will come to raise our bodies from the dust and reunite our bodies to our souls by the miraculous display of Your infinite power on that day when we witness the return of King Jesus. Our corruptible body will be robed in incorruption. Our mortal hands will embrace immortality. 
our natural body will become a spiritual body. This defiled body of shame will become a renewed body of glory. This body of weakness will become a body of power. In that moment, everything in our lives will be brought before the throne of Your grace. And then, thereafter, there will only be peace and rest and joy and delightful service coming from Your chosen people. Oh, King Jesus, keep the eyes of our hearts always open and always looking for the sweet return of our glorious King in whose name we pray. Amen.